I want to welcome every person here today and let you know just how welcome you are. The topic is the fatal word that will doom millions. Would you please take your Bibles today and turn with me to the words of the wise man. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 in the Holy Scriptures. Proverbs 27 and verse 1 is the text. This is the theme text for today's talk. Proverbs 27 and verse 1. Are you ready for it, my friend? The Bible says, do not boast about, say the word, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. The fatal word that is going to do millions is the word tomorrow, where people say, I will do it tomorrow. But my friend, we do not have tomorrow. We only have today. And I guess the owner of the gas station knew that. Went to increase sales, he put up a sign that said, free air today, free gas tomorrow. And when people came the next day and they said, we've come for the free gas, he said, that's tomorrow. <laughs> and whenever people came back after getting the free air, whenever they came back to get the free gas, he said, no, it's free air today. It's the free gas tomorrow. My friend, he was playing an old song and that old song teaches something you only have today because tomorrow is the day that none of us has. Tomorrow is the fatal word that will do millions because millions are delaying their decision for Christ and his truth until a more convenient, favorable time in the future. They call it tomorrow. And their argument is this, not today, but tomorrow. But my message today to this congregation and to the television audience is, not tomorrow, but today. I want you to turn to some great texts on this thought, would you please? Come to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. And can I ask you a question? Are you glad to be here in church today? Amen. Are you being blessed today? Amen. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. Of course, it's in the New text, uh, Testament. Is, and I want you to turn to this text. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. The author of Hebrews says, Therefore God again set a certain day, calling it today. When a long time later he spoke through David, as was said before, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Man says tomorrow, but God says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. My message is not tomorrow, my friend, 
but today. Would you please turn to another text, 2 Corinthians 6, 1 and 2. You come back a little further, come back, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. And the words of the great Saint Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1 and 2, dear hearts and gentle people. And Paul says, as God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And so, my friend, the world will tell you tomorrow, but the word of God always says now, which is today. Now, I have some good news available today. Salvation is available today. I want every person sitting here in the church and watching on television to understand this truth, that salvation is available right here today, now. But I have a warning for you. Don't count on it tomorrow. Because the Bible always says today. I want you with me now to notice some verses in the greatest book in the Bible. The greatest book in the history of the human race and that is the Gospel of Saint John. And I want you to notice what I think are the greatest words in the greatest chapter in the greatest book. Would you please come to John chapter 3 verse 16 to 18 which tells us that salvation is available today, my dear friend, today. Now please come to John chapter 3 and verse 16 and onwards to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. John chapter 3 and verse 16 and onwards and we're going to notice some great truths out of these verses. Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Now this text tells us a number of great truths. Firstly, the truth is this, that all are lost. All are lost without Christ. The Bible says, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. My friend, if the world had been saved, there was no need for the Son to come. And the text goes on to say, so that if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you'll have everlasting life. But my friend, outside of Christ, there is the state of lostness. There is no sense in trying to save a world when it is saved. But a cross, my friend, was lifted up outside the walls of Jerusalem because the Bible teaches that all are lost. 
Number two, no, before I go further, before I go to number two, without Christ, all are lost. Australians and Africans and Americans and British and Germans and Russians and Chinese and Frenchmen and Spaniards and Japanese and every other nationality. Every person outside of Christ, the Bible says, is lost. But the good news that all have been redeemed and their salvation available today. All have been redeemed. Now some theologians that I believe are great Christians have an idea that is called the doctrine of the limited atonement and the doctrine of the limited atonement which was believed by many of the world's greatest Christians like John Calvin this doctrine teaches that Jesus died only for the elect, but he didn't die for all the world. But the texts, and don't despise the preachers of that doctrine, they were some of the greatest theologians in the history of the world, John Calvin. But the Bible says, Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life therefore the good news is this although all are lost all have been redeemed by the blood of the lamb therefore my friend there's hope for every person the bible teaches that on the cross of calvary through the blood of the son of god redemption was made available to every lost son and daughter of Adam. So while all have been lost, all have been redeemed. There was a little English girl lost in the grand old city of London. And she couldn't find her way home. At last, a friendly policeman, as they call them, a Bobby, found her and said, little girl, what is your name? And she stammered out her name. Where do you come from? And she couldn't think of her address. And then he tried to help her. Do you come from such and such a place in London? And she was just reduced to tears. And then in the end he said, little girl, maybe this will help you. Do you know the big church? The church that has the cross on the top of it? St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh, she said, and her eyes, little blue eyes lit up, and she said, yes, I know the cross. Take me to the cross, and then I can find my way home. I say today, my friend, take me to the cross, and then I can find my way home, because although all have been lost, all have been redeemed at the cross. And because of this, all may come to Christ. Think of this. It doesn't matter who you are. All may come and nobody is left out. The Bible says, whosoever will may come. Jesus said, whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but of everlasting life. Therefore, every person within the hearing of my voice, I say to you today, come and come today. Whoever will may come. When I was a boy growing up in Brisbane, which was the capital of Queensland, which is a state above North New South Wales in Australia, the Queen, after her coronation, came to visit the Colonials. Bless her. <laughs> Though we haven't been a colony since 1901. And we won't tell you much about Australia before then. But it got a lot better after 1901. When Australia became its own place. But the Queen is still the head of Australia. And when she came out to Australia, I was just a boy, and she had just been made the Queen at Westminster Abbey in a ceremony that only the English can do. And when she came out, I stood with a crowd of hundreds of thousands of people lighting the streets, waiting for the Queen to come. And we waited for hours. Because she was the Queen. <laughs> and we wanted to see the Sovereign. And then the crowd started to shout, and I shouted with them, We want the Queen. And then we heard the rumble of the crowd from miles away as the carriage pulled by prancing horses with men standing. You know how they stand with those funny hats? <laughs> and speak and span as the queen came past, waving as only the queen knows how to wave. <laughs> I sort of liked that once. Since the Queen was a nice to Princess Di, Beverly's been so mad with her that I don't talk much about royalty anymore. <laughs> but then the Queen came, and uh, the people stood outside one of the palaces or one of the big government buildings, government house, and the Queen came out and, you know, waved to the people, and we thought that was wonderful, and I'm sure it was, because she is and was our sovereign. But then they had a, a splendid reception for the Queen. I wasn't invited. You may not have got in either, I got a feeling. You had to be wealthy or influential or powerful. And I didn't just, didn't seem to make the grade. And so there was a reception to meet the queen of the cream, as they call it, of society. Only the wealthy, only the elite, only the very special. But I want to tell you, my friend, when Jesus says, come, that includes everybody. Amen. It includes every person, every person. I don't care who you are or what you are. Any person can come. The poor can come, my friend. The rich can come. The obscure can come. The famous can come. The educated can come. The illiterate can come. No one is accepted from the invitation. Whoever will can come and come to Christ and receive salvation. Amen. 
And so every person today, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin is because God doesn't see race. He doesn't see your checkbook or your credit cards or any of those things. The Bible says, even though all have been lost, all have been redeemed. And the Bible says, all can come. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And we can, can, we can come when, my friend? We can come today. And the Bible says, don't count on it for tomorrow. The Bible says, come today. And all may find acceptance and forgiveness. Did you hear this? I want you to look at the words of Jesus in John 3, verse 18. We've read them before. We're going to read them again, dear hearts. John 3, verse 18. Oh, back up a little, please. Verse 16, for God so loved the world. That's the greatest number of people. And that love there is the greatest love. This is the greatest text for God. Just have a look at it, my friend, for God. Who is he? He's the greatest person. So this is a text about the greatest person. So loved. What does that tell you? That's the greatest love. Are you folks listening today? For the greatest person had the greatest love. That he gave his one and only son. Who is that? That's the greatest savior. That whoever believes in him. What is that? Whoever. That's the greatest number. That's the greatest number. There's no exclusion in the kingdom of God, my friend. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. What is that talking about? That is talking about the greatest disaster to perish but of everlasting life through him. What is that talking about? It's talking about the greatest salvation. That is why this text is the greatest text in the Bible. I can't think of a greater text for today than good old John 3.16. Now read on with me. Verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. My friend, when you come to Christ, the Bible says, all may find forgiveness. So this is a text that talks about the great things that God wants to do for us today. No condemnation. You won't be condemned if you come to Christ. I can think of a young man whom I baptized years ago in the great state of Texas. And Texas is more than a state. It's also a state of mind. <laughs> and in the great state of Texas, where they have the Amadillos, and lots and lots of flat countryside, and some of the nicest people in the world. I had a great church in Texas with some of the nicest people in the world. And there was a young man who came to that church and I had been preaching on the great book of Romans and I was preaching on Romans 3 and his mother took the tape home to him because he wouldn't come to church because he used to sit and drink beer and smoke marijuana and she nagged him into listening to me. And he'd listen to the talk as he was smoking a joint of marijuana. And as he was drinking a can of beer, 
the Spirit of God spoke to him from Romans 3. And he got up from his mother's room and burst into tears and ran outside and came under the great conviction of the Spirit of God and a voice cried out to him and said, because of Jesus, you're not condemned and you're not guilty. Isn't that good news? You can have that when. You can have that now, my friend. You can have it today because now is the accepted time and the Bible says that God has appointed another day and that day is today. I say to you, today, 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 don't count on tomorrow. Now, let me tell you why tomorrow is fraught with uncertainty and if you're counting on tomorrow, why you are building on sinking sand. Today, my friend, is solid granite. But tomorrow is sinking sand, and let me tell you why. I'm going to share with you now three great, logical, inescapable, unassailable truths from the Word of God that tell you you ought to do it today and not tomorrow. Did you get that line? It took me a long time to work this one out, so I'm going to repeat it. Three great logical. What was the next one? You weren't even listening. Three great logical. You're out of order. That was the next one. Three great logical, inescapable, unassailable marvelous truths out of God's Word. Why you ought to do it today and don't depend on tomorrow. The first truth concerns the truth of the sin against the Holy Spirit. That is called in Holy Scripture the unpardonable sin. Let me talk to you about it for a little while. The truth of the unpardonable sin says today, 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 don't count on tomorrow. Would you, dear hearts and gentle people, are we having a good time in church today? Amen. I asked the church, are you happy today? Amen. Are you rejoicing today? Amen. Do you enjoy reading the Word of God today? Mm. What about you, my sister? You enjoying this today? Mm. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31 and 32. Matthew 12, and Jesus is talking here. And this is the first great logical. What was it, Dan? Inescapable, inescapable and unassailable, unassailable and marvelous truths. Thank you. This is the first one. Which one is it? It's the first one. Mm -hmm. Matthew chapter 12, verse, I have discovered if you don't make it plain, really plain, people are not going to understand it. So I try to make it plain. Now what are we going to talk about? The unpardonable sin. Verse 31. And so I tell you, every sin. How many sins? Every. every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven unto man. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Now to understand that, which we will, you must understand 
about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And God sends the Holy Spirit to go and speak to our hearts. You can't be saved by the blood of Jesus unless the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. The blood of Jesus cannot save you without the work of the Holy Spirit. And so God sends the Holy Spirit. He is most active in a meeting like this. When the Word of God is being preached and the preacher is filled with the Holy Spirit, then the Word of God goes forth, directed by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit speaks to, to hearts. Therefore, as I'm talking to you today, the Holy Spirit ought to be talking to your hearts. Do you believe this? Yes. Now please come over now to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. Book of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. Dear hearts and gentle people. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 7. Are we ready, church? Are we ready to read this text? Hebrews and what point am I making? Which is this, this point? This is the first point. And what are some of the adjectives? It's logical, inescapable, unassailable, and marvelous. Mm -hmm. Verse 7. Therefore God again sets a certain day, calling it today, when a long time later he spoke through David, as was said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now it is talking about the unpardonable sin because the unpardonable sin is the hardening of the heart. Now we've all heard about hardening of the arteries. But the Bible talks about the hardening of the heart. Would you like to know what the hardening of the heart is? When you hear the truth... And the Spirit of God convicts you because of other reasons in your life you refuse to submit to the voice of the Spirit of God. The worst thing, my friend, that can happen to a man or a woman is to hear the Word of God year after year and not allow the Spirit of God to have His way in that life. The Bible says God sets a certain day and God says don't Harden your heart because if you keep hardening your heart, tomorrow is going to come and God is going to talk to you on the tomorrow, but you won't hear his voice because you had an opportunity today. So that's, that's a pretty solemn thing, isn't it? Now most of the great American people have heard of the great preacher Moody. And you know, my sister, America has preached some great preachers. This great land that God has blessed. Can you say amen to that? Amen to that. This lady is an American patriot. She's only just started to forgive me for the fact that I had the misadventure of being born in Australia. But nevertheless, she's just about forgiven me and she's a great saint. Now, I'm telling you about this great preacher, Moody. Now, Moody was a great American revivalist and a great preacher. God saved him because he never went to the seminary to get his mind confused. So he was a, and God blessed the saints at Andrews University and Loma Linda and all those wonderful places. 
Moody never made it to the seminary, but God taught him from the Word. And he became a mighty preacher, and a mother took her boy to hear Moody preach. And when Moody preached, the Spirit of God used to move through that great Baptist revivalist, and this lady brought her son, and he came under tremendous conviction because as Moody was preaching, the Spirit of God was pounding away at the door of his heart. But this young man got up out of one of the meetings and ran out and said, Holy Spirit, leave me. It's a dangerous prayer. And she prayed for this boy and she tried to get him to come back, but he said, I have prayed a prayer, Holy Spirit, leave me. I do not want the Spirit of God to be troubling me. I do not want the Spirit of God to be worrying me. I want to go my own way and I want to be the master of my fate. I want to be the captain of my soul. Moody tells the story of that young man coming home from his college or his work was going across the street of one of the great American cities and was run over by a carriage pulled by horses, and trampled by the horses. And Moody was asked to go to the hospital by the mother and went in to see this young man dying in the hospital. And he pulled himself up and said, Pastor Moody, there was a day when the Spirit of God spoke to my heart in your meetings. I wanted to be saved, but I prayed the prayer, Holy Spirit, leave me. And he said, now I am lost and I don't care. Lost and I don't care, that's the unpardonable sin. When you can sit in church and hear a sermon from the Word of God that condemns lying and cheating and every other sin and you excuse it in the name of sin. And a person goes through life listening to the appeal from the pulpit and from the Word of the living God and that person hardens his heart. And the preacher says today, but the person cries out in his heart tomorrow. Therefore, the word of God says, do not harden your hearts. And the word of God says, do it today, not tomorrow. That's the first truth. And the second logical, unassailable, help me inescapable, marvelous, convincing evidence is this. The truth, this is the second truth, concerns death. Where are the dead? Are the dead conscious? This is very important. We're not here today to give you an exegesis of all the texts in the Bible that talk about death. But the most common expression in the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning death is sleep. It says in Acts chapter 7 that when Stephen died, as they stoned him, the Bible says, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, and he fell asleep. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning those who have fallen asleep. Jesus said in John chapter 11 of Lazarus, 
Lazarus is sleeping. Lazarus is dead. All of the great religions in the world, I say my friend, all of the great religions in the world believe in the doctrine of the immortality of the soul. The Egyptians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, all of the great churches believe in the immortality of the soul. With one exception, the religion of the Bible. It doesn't believe in the immortality of the soul. It teaches in Ezekiel 18 and verse 4, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And the wisest man in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 said, The living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Ecclesiastes 9 verses 5 and 6. Jesus taught that death was asleep. He said those who are in the, their graves will hear his voice and come forth. Therefore, the dead are in a state of unconsciousness. I say it again. And an unconscious man cannot receive salvation. The fate of every human being is sealed at death. That's why the Bible says, now is the accepted time. That's why the Bible says, God has appointed a day, and that day is today. That day is now, because tomorrow you may be dead. And that is why I do not pray for the souls of the dead. I pray for the souls of the living, because the souls of the dead have passed into a place where their eternal destiny is fixed. This is very, very important. Now is the accepted time. Beverly and I, when we came out of Avondale College, were sent to a town way in the outback called Broken Hill. And then after that, we were sent to a little town by the name of Parks. That's where we had our own first church. That's where David was born a little town of nine or 10,000 people in the outback of Australia. And I ran a, a mission. You would call it a crusade, but I ran a mission. And some of the people who came became so close to us, and we baptized them like the wards out of Ganumbla. And then there was an old man who came with a cane because he was blind, and he came with his wife, and they were poor. And he would come to the meetings tapping his cane. But even though his eyes were blind, his soul could see. And old Pops gave his life to Christ. And when he died, his family came to me, and the sons took me aside because they asked me to take the funeral. And they came with a wad of pound notes, not dollars in those days, pound notes a pound was worth two dollars and they came with hundreds of pound notes and they said pray for the soul of pops I said even if my prayers were effective after his death they should be free therefore I couldn't take any money but he died with his faith in Christ. And Pops 
is going to be in the resurrection, but his fate has been sealed. Therefore, I cannot pray for the dead. Death may come when we least expect it. Beverly and I were given a place to stay for two weeks by Martha Lang down at San Clemente. And before I go to sleep at night, I used to go for a walk. And I was coming back from walking on the beach, and there was a wide road, but it was late at night. And as I started to cross over the road, a van that was parked in a dark spot all of a sudden came out of nowhere and accelerated. And then as he came towards me, he turned the lights on. The first thing I saw was a van accelerating, moving at real speed. I didn't have time to pray. I had an instinctive reaction caused by a flow of adrenaline, and I did a backflip and felt it as it went past, as it grazed my knees. I guess he was drunk. But you know, people take the doctrine of freedom and pervert it. But your freedom ends where my nose begins and vice versa. But this man almost killed me. I could have died that night. You know the story, don't you, of the man who resisted Christ? Christ came to him as a youth. He said, Christ, not now, later. I've got all my life in front of me, Christ, come back later. Christ came back when he was a mature man. He said, Christ, I'm building a business. I can't come now, Christ. Come back later. He came back when he was middle-aged with silver hair. He said, I'm in the most fruitful years of my life. I've built an empire. I can't give it up now. He said, not now, Christ, later. Christ came back when he was an old man. He said, Christ, I can't come with you now because I'm enjoying retirement. I've worked all my life. Not now, later. And Christ went away. One day there was a knock on the door, an insistent knock on the door. And the old man with the silver hair went to the door and opened the door. He said, Christ? No, he said, it's death. He said, death, it's not convenient. I'm in the midst of a splendid retirement. And he said, death, not now, later. But death said, not later, now, and took him. And that may happen to you and to me. Tomorrow? No. Today. There's a third truth why we should do it today and not tomorrow. It concerns the last great day of judgment. Revelation 20. And Christ could come soon. Revelation 20. 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before the throne, and books were opened. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they'd done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When Christ returns and the last great judgment takes place, my friend, it is too late to repent, too late to seek forgiveness, too late to come to the cross. Therefore the Bible says, not tomorrow, but today. I heard sad news this week. Not only did my dear friend Bob Stone pass away, whom we loved and will see in the resurrection morning, but my old roommate, Dr. Paul Lander, a professor of church history at Loma Linda University. Paul and I roomed at Avondale College for two years. Paul died after battling cancer for three years. He died just a few days ago. I knew Paul well because we spent our vacation days together in Brisbane as poor students trying to sell books. They were blessed days, but I'm glad they're past. So Paul and I would go, Paul was a Frenchman. We would go from door to door selling books, the bedtime stories and all that sort of stuff. And on the Sabbaths, we went around the churches practicing on the suffering saints. I would take the sermon and Paul would sing because he had a great voice. What we lacked in knowledge, we made up in enthusiasm. When I preached, I may have been in error, but I was never in doubt. So we were just two young guys out of college feeling our way, and the saints put up with us. And they have been doing that ever since. I had one sermon in those days, only one. I thought to myself, how will I ever get out other sermons? I have a problem now because they just want to come all the time. But I had one sermon. It was on the coming of Christ. And I preached it with enthusiasm. It may not have had three points in a poem, but it had plenty of gusto in it. And I used to jump around a lot in those days. <laughs> and after I preached the sermon, Paul would get up. And he'd sing the song, and he sang it beautifully. You've heard him sing it. Are you ready for Jesus to come? You know the song? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you faithful in all that you do? Have you stood, fought a good fight? Have you stood for the right? Have others seen Jesus in you? Are you ready to stand in your place? Are you ready to look in his face? Can you look up and say, this is my God. Are you ready for Jesus to come? That's the question I want to ask you today. Are you ready for Jesus to come? And because of all these truths, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. I say to you today, 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 not tomorrow. Beverly and I stayed in last night because we'd been at Bob Stone's funeral. And when I got in, I discovered the preacher's nightmare 
that by sermon notes that I had slaved on and worked on, I left home in my office. So I prepared a new sermon last night with blood, sweat, and tears. And it went all okay until I came to the final part, which was a poem. And I haven't said the poem for over a year. And so last night I tried to put it together with some success. It's the story about a leper who lived in the days of Jesus. And here is the poem, I think. A leper sat beside the road in Upper Galilee. His form was burnt and his face was pitiful to see. No future stretched inviting arms. His hopes were for release, for quiet sleep in the mossy tomb and rest of dreamless peace. Now then it gets a little obscure. I couldn't remember this bit, but it goes something like this. But of late, uneasy were his thoughts. Hope raised its weary head. One who could heal the leprosy lived south. So rumor said. Some told of demons exercised. Some said he raised the dead. And turned the water into wine multiplied the bread. Soon I will go and see what can be seen. Perhaps he'll see my hopeless state. Perhaps he'll make me clean. With languor he began to plan to put away his sorrow. He'd say as every morning dawned, I'm tired. I'll go tomorrow. But weeks and months, years passed by. His eyes were growing dim. He knew that he must haste to Christ, or death would haste to him. His journey was painful drag and as the end drew nigh he saw three crosses etched in black against a darkening sky too late because tomorrow had come my message to you is this, boast not thyself about tomorrow. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Therefore, come to Christ, repent and believe today. Please pray. Please kneel. Our Father, we think of the old hymn, Shadows are falling, and death's night is coming, coming for you and for me. Why should we linger when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Come home, 
come home. Come home today. Now, Father, in this congregation today, there are going to be people in all different stages. There may be some who are not following Christ. They haven't given their lives to Christ. Who are living in a state of lostness. May they today say, yes, Lord, I come to Christ today. I give my life to Christ. I dedicate my life to Christ. I repent of my sins and I confess my sins to God and to man. And I will make restitution for what I've done wrong. And I'm going to do it today. If there are some here in that category and you can say yes today, in light of what you heard today, can you raise your hand please? Let the Lord know. Lift it up high. If you can say today, God, I didn't come into this church saved, but I want to go out of this church saved. How many here today will say, I will do whatever it takes to accept Christ? Lift up your hand. I will come before him now. I will confess and forsake my sins. Now for some of us, that's going to be hard because the thief has to return what he has stolen. The slanderer has to correct the slander. The liar has to correct the lying. This is a very practical thing we're talking about today. We're talking about getting right with God. Amen. And so God, today, you see our hands, my hands, both of them are up, Lord. And I, as your son, as a sinner, I come to you today confessing my sin and my need of Christ, praying that you'll wash me in the blood of the Lamb, wash my congregation in the blood of the Lamb. Put your spirit in us today. We want to hear your voice say to us today, not condemned, innocent, innocent through the blood of the cross. Bless every person here today. We thank you that we have been to church and we have been blessed. We worship you today. We praise you. We bless you. Oh God, we're looking forward to that great day when I'm going to see Paul in the kingdom of God. My old roommate is going to be there. Bob Stone's going to be there with the double bass. We don't want any person missing. We all want to be there that great day. We want to be there with Jesus tomorrow because we've accepted him today. And so, Lord, bless these precious people, please, for Jesus' sake. Amen.